Hello, this is Ed Cohen, broadcast host on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, coming to you today from San Diego, California. Our special guest today is Jean Abinader, coming to you from the Washington area. Jean is the CEO of Abinader Advisory Services, focusing on building communications competencies as the key to your organization's effectiveness, growth, innovation, and achievement. I'm not going to take up more time here with that. Let's go right to welcoming John Abinader. Ed, good to hear your voice, and I'm glad to be with you on the show today. Well, thanks very much. Tell us, better than I could do it, what your company is all about today. Well, it's actually three components to it. One is builds on all the overseas experiences I've had, which are essentially helping Americans in the field of intercultural communications work in other cultures and vice versa, people from other cultures coming here. That's kind of the bedrock. And then from that, I've developed a series of educational courses for the executive level training to help people in a number of areas like team building, communications, negotiations. And I do those courses around the world in the United States. And the third area is reading and writing and doing analysis on workforce development, future trends in education, and looking at how American companies in particular can develop the kinds of internal skills to face changes that are going on in the environment, like today with the pandemic. So let me ask you, have you focused to date on companies that already have a global mindset, or are you also teaching that? Both. There are companies who are global which doesn't necessarily mean they have a global mindset, as you know the difference. And there are ones that are international and who are expanding quickly, particularly in the technology areas, and they want to have more of a global mindset. The key is developing a core set of global-focused values internal to the company. Okay, so we're in VUCA times, V-U-C-A. So volatile, uncertain, craziness. No, complexity. Yeah, it feels like craziness. <laughs> and ambiguity, and that yes. means what's happening. <laughs> what better example of those four principles than what's going on right now? And it's ironic to think that this came out of work in the American War College. So it was developed by the U.S. Army to kind of play out scenarios that might happen after the Cold War. And there have been some complaints here in Washington that this gaming has been going on for years and as early as 2011, predicted what would happen if there were a pandemic, and yet nothing is in the national strategy that focuses on how to deal with a pandemic. So what we're seeing right now is complexity of trying to understand something that is unknown, which is how long is this going to go on? What is the casualty rate going to be in terms of people suffering? But also, more importantly, long-term, What's going to be the impact on our economy and our workforce and on globalization? Yeah. Okay. So we don't know what will ever be the same again post-lockdown. Why don't you chat about that? Will work employment ever be the same again? Well, you know, I've been reading a lot lately because I'm working on an article about that right now, but from a, a different side. But it's also germane to this. And the question is, on one side, who's better at dealing with the pandemic, autocratic regimes, authoritarian regimes, or democracies. And so one looks at China, 
and one looks at Italy, for example, or one looks at South Korea, and then one looks at the United States. Both democracies, one doing very, very well in terms of combating it in South Korea, one the United States being more laggard. And so what is the workforce going to look like? Well, the most critical thing to look focus on worldwide is that our experience is that most jobs in an economy are generated by the small and medium-sized enterprises. And those are the ones who are taking the biggest hits right now. And that's why the government is mobilizing so many billions of dollars to help small and medium-sized enterprises and businesses, particularly in the services sector, which, as you know, makes up the majority of American companies. So if these companies take a hit that they can't recover from, or they have to go into so much debt that it changes the way in which they do business in the future, then we're going to see some real drastic changes. As importantly, though, Ed, for our particular interest, which is global business, the whole notion of the supply chains and just-in-time is really changing. We're asking, for example, India to give us pharmaceuticals because we no longer make them in this country. We're getting equipment from China because we no longer make stuff in this country. And so the whole notion of, and this is just medical supplies, and so the whole notion of JIT in terms of automotive industry, we see what's happened there. In terms of cell phones, we see what's happening there. It has to be rethought. How are global supply chains going to work in the future if they're going to work at all? Does it mean taking a hit in terms of cost and moving from Southeast Asia to Latin America, for example? Does it mean that questions of who are the best employees to have in terms of restructuring your market, well, what happens if I move out of Thailand? What happens if I move out of other countries in Cambodia, for example, another place, Bangladesh, where I'm currently doing my production? So we, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, a lot of volatility and complexity. And I think sure. the hardest part for all of us is the ambiguity part. And that's lack of sufficient preparation to say, okay, what's going to happen six months from now or a year from now? Let's go a little deeper, if I can, with you. Sure. So let's just say that the U.S. decides to put together enterprise zones, that old phrase from the Reagan era, I believe, mm -hmm. in Nebraska or in Tennessee someplace. Or maybe they do it in partnership with Canada, where things are like 20% off. Or right. Mexico, where the peso today is 24 to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Or even Puerto Rico. How about that? Mm -hmm. Where a pharmaceutical industry has a history already. Right. Put a would a shoulder, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel if the right people are doing it. That's right. And if companies are willing to say, okay, we're going to cut back from a 30% or 20% or 15% profit margin and go with 5, 10, or 12%. Because regardless of the changes, one has to look at, well, why did we move out of Canada and the United States in the first place? And it was labor costs, primarily. And a lot, of course, those labor costs have changed now because of technology. So that's something in, in favor of restructuring the global supply chain. But enterprise zones don't do much. They really just eliminate taxes and customs duties. And so one has to say, okay, what percentage of producing this product, this cell phone, these shoes, these cars, what percentage is actually taxes and import duties? And if it's less than 15 or 20%, it may not make economic sense. And so we have to figure out maybe other places like Mexico, for example, where an enterprise zone 
is really not as effective as just because the labor rates are much smaller and or lower, and because we have good logistics with Mexico, that just might make more sense. But as I said, there's too much uncertainty out there for us right now to say what's going to be the best solutions and, more importantly, for what sectors. Because each sector has different requirements, both in terms of human resources, the applications of artificial intelligence and robotics, and the impact of technology on operations. Well, thanks very much for your insight. Okay, so just to zero in on the idea of, okay, what sectors stand to benefit, if we can just zero in on that. What sectors stand to benefit from a global restructuring? Defense. I think defense is critical. We've got to stop relying. It's okay to rely on other countries for mineral resources. That's a, you have it or you don't. But technology, I think we can bring the technologies, defense industries closer home. I think we can bring, related to that, things dealing with robotics, artificial intelligence, the whole sectors where technology is being applied to modernize, update, slim down, make more efficient how the operations go. So I think technology applications are another area where we can bring people in. Pharmaceuticals is really critical. I think we have to think this through as to do we set up at least a backup system? So if something goes belly up in India, where we get most of the pharmaceuticals from, what stop gaps do we have to back us up at home? As I said, it's, I think the less labor that's involved in the production of the operations, the more likely it is that those jobs can come closer to the United States because labor is the big differential. Breathtaking. <laughs> yeah. What about global talent? Where should I go and get a job? You know, this is my favorite black sheep. I have kids in their 30s. And, you know, if they come to me and say, okay, dad, you do global business. Where, where should I be looking for in the next 10 years? You know, my answer is still go for the skills and the competencies. Don't go for the sector. In other words, if you have a good appreciation for how technology works or you're good at developing algorithms or you're good at sales, you know, something that requires people-to-people skills, those things will always serve you well. But I think beyond that, global talent really depends on how far this globalization is deconstructed. If we're pulling back from those overseas operations, then our ability to attract, maintain, and retain, or even want to recruit people from overseas diminishes. I think the other flip side of that, Ed, that's of concern is our whole attitude toward immigration. If we go ahead with the most recent iterations of immigration policy, which are to allow immigration by skill sets, that may be helpful to us because it means people who are not only have skills, but generally entrepreneurial skills, as you know, looking at Silicon Valley, that may help us in the long run or even medium term, because these people will come knowing their countries, they know what kind of capabilities are there, but they like the more open system and financing available in the United States. So I think that the opportunity for Americans to be assigned overseas is going to diminish a great deal. I think just as in our country, the opportunity for foreign professionals to come here is going to diminish unless it's in the high technology sector or medical sector. Yeah. So I read an article yesterday, and I can't remember where right now, somewhere online, and the headline grabbed me and I got into it. It was almost exactly what you were just saying. 
variation, of course, but it's global talent development, moving work to the people as opposed to moving people across right. to where the work is uh, or right. could be. And that, that is an old concept, mm-hmm. but it's been in the bottom drawer under papers. <laughs> but now they're starting to talk about it because they're seeing that it's too expensive and not good for American business. And there's nothing to do with politics. It's just business. And to go for a more regional uh, distribution of talent and sourcing, meaning Western Hemisphere, for instance, or maybe a specific tie-in with somebody like whether it's Lebanon or whether it's Tel Aviv or Jordan, where there's very, very specific skills and capabilities found in different unique places. But with a primary focus, though, on districts or or regions of interest, sources, and then shifting people around a more very, very smaller number, but very, very controlled environments rather than just put somebody out there to either move them out of the way or to give them some training outside of the U.S. I really am getting lost in my own thoughts here. Maybe you could help me. I think it's a really good point that you raise, and that is, um, will we always be in a situation that we require global human resources? And I would like to say the answer is yes. And if you look at the skill sets, some of which I mentioned earlier, that are important, we know that the common language of business right now is English. We know that the common, other common language of business is mathematics, whether it's algorithms or statistics or payments in kind or whatever it happens to be. Those are the two languages. And those skills are not limited to the United States, but they are not as broad as we would like them to be in terms of other potential regions. For example, looking at the Middle East, once you move out of Israel, it's hard to find the kind of level of knowledge of technology and mathematics or science in Arab countries, Israel not being Arab, although it is majority. If you look at Arab countries, whether it's in Morocco or Tunisia or whatever, they have pools of very bright people, but their educational systems don't really put them out in number. And also, if they want to work and they have skills, they go to Europe usually, or the Lebanese, Palestinians, Jordanians, they go to the Gulf. Well, we know what a mess the Gulf is right now because of the decline in oil revenues, restructuring of their economies. And so they have challenges as well. So then the question becomes, okay, what does global talent mean? Well, essentially it means, how do I still look at the bottom line and see where human talent can make a positive difference for my company? And so if it means bringing people from overseas or taking the work to them, as you said, then I can see some benefit. But I think the calculations of that benefit are going to be much tougher in the future. But some countries, Western Europe, for example, Eastern Europe coming up, some pockets in the Middle East, as I mentioned, certainly some pockets in Latin America, and Southeast Asia, of course, lots, have the focus on English and science skills that are going to feed the growth and the human labor in the global markets. Interesting. Brave new world. Yes. Very different from the one we came up in, isn't it? Yeah. When English in America was the goal for everyone, now it's not. Okay, so after the Great Recession, so-called, 08, 09, the business changed from many respects, and so certainly it's going to change again now. 
So first of all, we have a, a lot younger workforce, mm-hmm. huge, huge numbers of people under 40, under right. 50, I guess, definitely under 40. And to include Gen X, people 50, 55, and they're in their prime. But the majority of the workforce is now younger, and they're all tech, no right. doubt about it. So it's got to go more tech, more virtual, but the younger people want to travel, and now they're going to be restricted. Mm-hmm. So just yesterday, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo sent out another warning to American expats saying, if you're interested in returning home, you better do it now. Mm-hmm. And that follows on the level four State Department warning of a week or two ago. So he's getting a message out there, and I'm not sure who's listening, but this is a lot to do with impact on companies and their policies for returning expats. If they return, where do they work? There's no chance. Right, right. What happened? So the workforce is going to change. Everything's going to be changing. So VUCA on steroids. Yeah, I no, I, I, I think we have to face that reality that whereas the world used to be our oyster in the post-50s generation when Americans yeah. were going all over the globe, 60s, 70s, 80s, building states, building governments, building economies. It was the heyday of Americans. You know, one time we had over 50,000 Americans just in Saudi Arabia. Right. Actually, it was 72,000 at one point. Hmm. And they, in turn, had 150,000 students here. All that's changing. And it has to change. One, because the countries themselves are becoming more nationalistic in the sense that we have to start with our own and help our own. Because, like you said, everyone's facing the fact that they have the largest proportion of their population are the young people. And those young people need jobs. And their chances to emigrate for those jobs isn't there anymore. It is in the kinds of numbers they need to. I mean, for example, in Morocco, where I've worked. They create about 70,000 jobs a year. In a good year, they create 70,000 jobs a year. And even by their own statistics, they need 170,000 jobs a year. What are those 100,000 going to do? They can't all go to France and Spain like they used to or anywhere else. And they might go to other places in Africa that are not as developed as Morocco. But the reality is in a country like Morocco, which is relatively stable, to have 100,000 kids before the pandemic hit, sitting around on the streets drinking coffee and wondering what they're going to do next, is bad for us. Is, it's I a mean, recipe it, for disaster. stability yeah. and security. Yeah. It's a real challenge. I mean, I'm looking at the United States, which has got my spurs in terms of workforce development. And I, I don't know what to tell young people. I mean, first of all, we need more, just like anywhere else in the world, we need more kids in vocational technical schools. No doubt about it. But the, the point is nowadays, though, not only do you need those voc tech skills, you got to have diagnostic computer skills to go with it. You know, and so are the schools recruiting and teaching students to the subjects they need. And that's a worldwide issue, worldwide issue. Secondly, are we going into areas where there might be more interest in vocational technical and say, hey, this is what your life could look like? I mean, where I live in the Washington, D.C. area, it's not uncommon for plumbers, electricians, and other skilled technical people to make more than school teachers make. Just a reality. And so why aren't we selling that message? I mean, it's not like Americans can't work with their hands. It's not like I have to learn Spanish to be able to run a machine. But that's the mentality is that, and it's, again, everywhere in the world where people see themselves as that's not the kind of work I want to do. Well, if that's not the kind of work you want to do, then how are you going to acquire the skills that move you into the white collar work? And we haven't answered that question anywhere in the world. 
So in America, you know what's coming is the infrastructure. That's the next right. New Deal project coming. Hope uh, so. Yeah, sooner than later, I hope. Yeah, exactly. But, it's four but, years I mean, overdue. That will, I'm not being political here, although I'd like to, <laughs> like to be. It's just that there's, that's a, a goldmine of opportunity for whoever is in power. Right. Because of the jobs and the impact, if it's done right, hello, if it's done right, will make America great and greater than ever before because it will be technologically oriented and will be a work project need like never before with roads and just building dams to prevent flooding from oceans rising. Just cleaning up the highway is great and the bridges will be great, you know? Yeah, paving the roads. So, my friend, thank you very much for being our guest today. And I invite you to come back in a month or two or three, whenever is good for you. And let's take this discussion and go a little deeper and add perspective. Yeah, I think that I would welcome that opportunity to take a look back maybe 90 days from now at the end of the summer when at least we hope that the pandemic has peaked and we start to see emerging signs of the new economy. It might be a good time to say, okay, our business is going to recover. Which kind of businesses, what kind of people are they going to need, and how the global supply chain is now holding up. I think that'd be a good time probably at the end of the summer to take a look at that, Ed. Talking with Jean, J-E-A-N, Jean Abinader, A-B-I-N-A-D-E-R, Abinader Advisory Services.com. Check it out. And also on LinkedIn, Jean Abinader a wellspring of information and knowledge about global business today. Thank you, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. This is Ed Cohen signing off from San Diego, globalradiotalkshow.com.